You're listening to the Timony Leader Series podcast, brought to you by Timony Leadership Institute. Welcome to our Timony Leader Series. My name is Ronan O'Farrell. I'm CEO of the Timony Leadership Institute. And you're very welcome to our interview with Brian McConville. From Rathfryland in Uri in Northern Ireland, Brian is the, the founder, owner and chairman of the MJM Group, which includes MJM Marine, one of the world's leading mar- mar- marine outfitting businesses, which he started himself back in, in 1983. And the group also includes MyVan, a leading specialist joinery business, and Top Glass, a specialist glass supplier as well. Back in, in 2018, uh, MGM Group fitted out the Asmara Pursuit for the Royal Caribbean at Harland & Wolf, uh, the largest project of its kind in Belfast for decades, which was great to see uh, it happening in, in Belfast in the docks again. And uh, Brian was also awarded uh, CBE on this New Year's honours list uh, back in, in at the beginning of the year for services to the economy and to charity in Northern Ireland. A very well-deserved honour uh, by Queen Elizabeth. And last but not least, uh, Brian is also one of our alumni in the uh, Timony Leadership Institute, having done our advanced leadership programme uh, a couple of years ago. So, Brian, I'm delighted to uh, to welcome you and thank you for joining us on the, the Leader Series. Evening, Roland, and thanks very much for having me. And I hope I don't bore you too much. So, uh, you have oh, a hard oh, job ahead of you trying to keep me in line, but there you go. We're looking forward to it. We're looking forward to it. Well, before we get stuck in, just to say to those listening, uh, if you'd like to ask Brian a question, if you're listening live, to use the Q&A box at the bottom of the screen. And if we can, we will... Uh, we will get to those in the course of the uh, the discussion. So, Brian, um, maybe if I can start, where did uh, this entrepreneurial bug, uh, entrepreneurial drive that you have to get started in business, um, where did that come from? I know you, you began with pony rides on the beach. You know, Ronan, uh, over my life, when I, when I was in my 30s, if you'd asked me the question, I might not know how to answer it in the 40th. I thought it an idea I don't answer it. And as, a, as I matured through my life, I, I had all these ideas of what an entrepreneur is and how is one born or formed or whatever the case is. And But I, 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 I look back, I, I look back on my life and now that I'm fast approaching 60, I'm looking back at my life and I'm saying, you know, all the little things that happened, you know, just the tiny little things like, there was a time, I don't actually know when the year was, but it could have been, oh, I would have been pretty young. So it could have been in the late 60s or the very early 70s in the farming, because I think most people know it. I was born and reared on a farm. I, I, remember, I remember once getting a, going to say that I can get the cab for a pound and bringing it home and I reared it on a goat and I sold it for 90 pounds. And that was, that was one little thing. And I forgot about that for years, but the fact that I'd done that, and I pushed my father and all of the things that go to make that happen. And, and then, you know, persuading my family to allow me to take my pony to the beach and walk up and down the beach and have pockets of money and loose change. And, you know, all of those things that I think they develop, uh, they develop the power, you know, these things are developed. You know, you just, there's not a light bulb, not a light bulb moment in my life that I could turn around and say, these things happened. But uh, anyway, there you go. That's, 
that's my, they're some of my very, very early years of some of the very, very first things. So I was probably nine, 10, 12. I, well, certainly I'd stopped giving pony rides by the time I was 12 or 13. So I'd done yeah. that for three or four years. But you, you always had a couple of jobs on the go as you were growing through your teens and. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're yeah, always. Sure. <laughs> so when you're born on a farm, sure, it was, yeah. uh, it was up early in the morning. You had work to do before you went to, you had your chores to do on the farm before you went to school. They rushed into the house. Your mother got you, got the, got, got you washed and cleaned for school, and away to primary school or secondary school, whatever the case was. We have we are uh, school bag over your shoulder, and it was as fast as you could get home in the evening because there's loads of chores to do around the farm. Yeah, whatever those chores were, you, 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 you done those, and you maybe got a while to yourself to ride your pony or whatever. But when I come of age, I think about fourteen, I decided that I was smart enough. I have to say, I didn't need much more schooling. I never, uh, schooling, I mean, just didn't agree. It was one of those things. Uh, I was working, I was I, I was holding down three or four jobs at that time. And I was working on a local building site. I was working with local farmers. I was working in a local hotel. So schooling was, uh, wasn't, wasn't really, wasn't really my big topic. Uh, a few years later, whenever I started to realize what I'd done wrong, I, I, I think I could have, enjoyed a bit of school work but there you go such as like yeah, yeah. well you, you you came back you came back on it right throughout the, the rest oh, of your absolutely. career absolutely. you can talk about that well for anyone who isn't familiar can you give us a top line overview of what you then went on to found eventually mjm which okay. is uh, quickly as quickly as i can uh left school went and got myself a trade as a joiner uh moved down to dublin I was in dublin for a few years then fell in with a, a with a very, very professional company. We spent six or seven years with them, ending up in the Middle East. Come home out of the Middle East, uh, started to do work for this company in Northern Ireland, then the recession hit. And uh, I went over to England looking for some work. And there, it was there that I discovered, going across in the ferry, that I'd, I'd seen the guys, and I said to the barman, who does all this type of work inside the ships? Give me a name in Dublin. And I, I was quite taken by... I don't know, the glitzy paints or whatever you, there's, there's still, ships are still quite glitzy. And mm. I think it's the mixture of all the different products from, from fabrics to stainless steels and so on and so forth. So I got the bug for sort of fitting out ships, starting off with local ferries and then going into cruise ships. Uh, it's quite a, it's quite a journey over 25 odd years from then to now. Uh, there's lots to, there's lots to be talked about and thought about in, in that journey, but on the high level end of it, I ended up creating a company called MJM Marine Limited, who we over 15 years come to be from going into the American market, uh, coming into just coming into the American market being nobody to being having to say, not my words, but our customers' words and our, and our competitors' words, uh, probably the best outfitting company in the world. Best in the fantastic, isn't it? To uh, hear that from a customer or customers. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, there's, there's certain little telltale signs that you get along the way that you hear. And yeah, uh, it's, 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 yes, it's, it's a big achievement. Big achievement. You know, uh, Roland, I was only driving the bus, you know, it's, it's all them other guys in the bus that made this happen. You know, I was only, that's right. I, the reason I was on the journey. It's, it's, you know, let's not for one moment think that this was a single handed that this was McConville charging up the hill on his own, you know, it wasn't yeah. going to happen that way. 
Yeah. There, was a, there was a huge, huge team of people behind me, very loyal people behind me, uh, that actually at a very young age all all found and adopted my vision. And we all we all worked with the one with the one thing. Sorry for rambling, but there you go. Yeah, and and I, I heard you say somewhere like some some of those people you started out with are still with you or were yeah. until funny. I was in MJM yesterday and it's uh, we had a we had a board meeting. We had a board meeting yesterday morning, a strategic meeting yesterday afternoon, and I was walking around. And uh, one was one particular guy just comes to. He was the very, very first employee that I employed. Oh, thirty-eight years ago, and him and I had a chat yesterday, and went into another office, and one of my, there's three or four of my senior guys have been with me thirty plus years, and uh, you know the. Which I always like to add in because it's very, very important for people that are listening and for people who don't understand this, especially the modern moms and dads. Three or four of those guys all started start off life with apprenticeships hmm. and went from apprentice joiners to joiners to whatever they went on. And now they're a senior, they're senior executive sitting on, on a, per, a fairly decent board of a company. So yeah, yeah, it's not, yeah. To, be, not to be sneezed on. Yeah. If you get get the right start with with what fits for them, it can yeah. it can yeah, go. It's generally, it's generally what we're really saying to people is, you know, we're saying to the younger generation, you've got a vision. You know, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be a, you don't have to be a chemist. You don't have to be a doctor. You don't have the brains to run. But yeah. you've got, if you've got ambition and you're a hard worker and you you know, you've got a skill or whatever it is, you know, you can you can come through. Yeah. University is not the end of the world. But maybe yeah. I shouldn't be saying that, and you could. You know, no, the, no, it's, it's uh, leadership institution, but you know, it's 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 a big fact. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense to get the right fit for for what suits people, and we're great believers in that. And knowing yourself, and knowing what your strengths are, and where your your preferences lie, and 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 make it flourish. Absolutely. And the choices you make. Well, just uh, briefly on the name MJM, now international recognition uh, in the cruise line industry, but. Can you tell us where the where the name came from? You know, it's I, I have to I have to make it funny because it, you would cry otherwise. You know, it's it's, <laughs> it's it's one of those things. You know, I went to an accountant, um, and funny, I would meet him once or twice a year. He must be in his eighties now, but um, and uh, I said to him, "Look, I need a, I need to set up a company," and he says, "That's okay." So, can you do that? I asked him. He says, "Yes, I can do that." I can, all the registrations and so on and so forth. And I said, that's great. And I was just leaving, just leaving his office. It was quite a short meeting, a half an hour. And he says, well, I need a name. And I said, but I told you my name. My name's Brian McConville. He says, no, 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 I need a name for the company. And I says, okay. And he says, something like X, X, Y, and I said, <laughs> I says, ah, okay. I says, uh, well, I work for a company called JMJ. So let's call it the opposite of JMJ. And we went for MJM. <laughs> so then very, very, so, you know, for the next 20 years, you know, the company was called MJM and everybody had all sorts of ideas what it was. And I had to come up with some sort of a, a slogan for it. So the slogan we had for it was McConville's Jolly Man, MJM. <laughs> Fantastic. So that, was, that was the slogan we had. But uh, and to say, that's, that's, that's the reality of it. And I try to make it as funny as I can because yeah. there was no thought process. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. But it just shows you, you can you can create a, a fantastic brand if you have behind it. We have we, hard we work. Have spent, we have spent thousands and thousands and thousands since 
on the MJM and all sorts of different managers come in and different people come in to our businesses and what color it should be and how it should look and that. And, you know, we spent thousands and thousands. And you know what? At the end of the day, we just keep, you know, we've never done anything with it. Yeah, we've glossed it up a little bit, but yeah. it's still MJM. So there you go. Very good. Well, I mean, you mentioned it there, like a lot of hard work has gone in behind. Uh, what, what other ingredients do you think were in the mix to make MGM so so successful? I mean, you mentioned the team as well, being a team on the bus, but what other ingredients would you uh, identify looking back now? Might be helpful for others in your following uh, footsteps. You know, well, I hear people talking about passion all the time, and sometimes I, I you know, I, I look a little bit strange and I try to sort of look into them or to find out exactly what do they mean by by having a passion. But <clears throat> it's it's quite true. It is it's quite true. Uh, I, as a young person, had a passion for quality. Mm. Hanging the door in the house and sticking on a roof was. I'm not saying everybody can do it, but you know there was a there was a standard that was a standard, and the standard was never good enough. And I wanted something more. And I want, when I go places, you touch the furniture and say, "Oh, that's lovely." And you, and, and I had the uh, I, I had the ambition to manufacture that furniture and do things. So so <clears throat> we uh, you know so there's a passion there for quality. That that was that was the core. And then what happened was then when we go to people and we go to different customers and we'd say. And they say, well, can you do that? And he says, of course we can do that. We can do anything, you know. Not necessarily really understanding or, or knowing how I was going to do it, but I always would say, yeah, we can do that. And then I'd worry about how I was going to do it later. But that's, there's quite a few stories and quite a few examples around that. But yeah. out, of, out of that, we created a can-do attitude. So, you know, whether the guy was only one of the guys, you know, we were all just working. It just happened to be that, I, I petted them at the end of the week and I was the one that we give up to them and they're standing around. But let, let you know, we, we, we generally worked as a team and it ended up, we had this really strong can-do attitude. And they use the word we, you'll hear me talking about yep. we, we, we all the time. Mm -hmm. So we had this very, very strong can-do attitude, must deliver the product. You know, McCombus told the boss he's going to get it next Wednesday. So if we have to work Saturday evening or a couple of late nights to get it to the boss next Wednesday, the boss will get it next Wednesday. And the boss was always who was paying us, our customers. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a little bit of vision, a little, a little bit of passion. You know, we had a passion for quality. Mm -hmm. uh, we never really liked to let people down. And we always said we could do something we wanted to do and get it done. And... And in, in all of that, when you say not let people down and, and the quality being really important, what about the, the sort of, you know, not being afraid to make mistakes, possibility of failure? How much did that play in, in, in the mix as well of you really wanting to make you know, sure? When you're young and you're young and you're innocent and you don't have too much to lose, so mm. where's the risk? Mm. You know, you just pull on, you know, and that's, this is true. You know, I've had this conversation with many, with, with, with many a person and, you know, when we were in our, when we were, I was in my twenties, coming up through the business and the thirties, you know, work was work. We just got up and we done. We done our very, very best. We pleased our customers yeah. the best we could. We moved on to the next job. We never really wanted to, never wanted to bail anybody. There was people were coming along and said, "Well, can you do this?" And we always said we could. And in most cases, we didn't know how to do it, but we'd find people that didn't know how to do it. So we just learned to adapt with. You know, yeah. we got this attitude that we could do nothing. There's nothing that we couldn't do. Was there a risk in it? Well, what was the risk in it? We just didn't get it exactly as the, as the person wanted it, but we got it close. 
Yeah. You know, and our interpretation and their interpretation, well, then that would lead you to have a, a conversation. So risk and so on and so forth. But that then comes to be a very, very serious, serious criteria when you get uh, traction within your business. Mm. And, that, and like, I'm not saying we've got traction now, but many, many years ago, we started to get traction. Yeah. Big, my, uh, then, then this word risk came into me. But at that stage, I had already set the siege with a team of people that knew exactly how to manufacture the product, how to find all the materials, how to please the to, to please the company and please our customers. That then I had a there's one of the things that we could talk about, but I then had to sort of step out of that role where I was as the leader of that team, appoint a couple of the other guys to do that work for me. And then I went in then to a more strategic role within the business. And then to find out was then I learned about financing, then I learned about risk, then I learned about management and health and well we always have health and safety but you learn more about the, the how, how critical health and safety was and how the critical the environment was and all of these things all yeah. i actually it was like me starting a whole new business again when i moved from the operational side into the management side management and how i mean that's that's a transition that a lot of founders and owners find really quite challenging because you're you you know you had your sleeves rolled up and you were in the middle of it all making it happen how how did you find that? Did it was it an easy transition for no, you? Or? No, 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 no. Yeah. It was very, it was, it, it was, it was very, it was very, very difficult. Uh, Any advice for somebody following in your footsteps now as to how they would do that more in a better way? Yeah, yeah. You have to own it. You know, it's difficult. Mm -hmm. It's difficult, you know. You have to sit down, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not great at telling you thing, uh, telling you what to do, or how to do it. But I can, I can I'm good at telling you examples that happened to me. Yeah. A, a guy, a guy who we were employing at the time, uh, much more, much, much more of his experience. Our turnover was starting to grow. We were looking and shaping like a real business. You know, we want this sort of two-bit store that opened up in the father's farm and then slowly grew up a business. We probably were employing 30 or 40 people. So we were starting to make we starting to make something real. Uh, all of a sudden I went out for a manager and brought on this new manager. And the manager came in and he said, You're doing this wrong, doing that wrong. And he and he told us and he worked with us. And I would listen to him and I, I would tentatively question him and I, I would bore him and or I would exhaust him out with the questions I would ask him and then I would try to figure out which was the most important and I'd bring them back to my team. And all of the time I was learning and learning. And, you know, I think it's probably one of the biggest, the biggest things that happened to me. You know, he said to me one day, he took me over to the window and I, it's, it's, everybody has different ways of doing things. He took me over to the window and he looked out and he says, what's that? And I looked out and he says, I can't, all I can see is my car. He says, yeah, he says, there's a nice Mercedes, brother. I said, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's that? So I said, what more do you want in life? And we weren't we weren't doing we weren't doing too bad at this stage. So uh, what happened was uh, you okay? There? Can you still yeah. see me? Yeah? No, that's fine. You're back. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what happened there, but uh, actually, actually, him by saying I had arrived and I had an up and a nice Mercedes and I didn't need was the sauce that I needed to turn around and say to myself, do you know what? I can do much, much more than this. Mm. I'm fit. 
I'm only I'm only coaching here. I'm only just raising it on. I can put myself to quite a bit more pressure, quite a bit more stress. It's probably it's probably a bit of a kick in the that I needed just mm. to get me winded up to move on to the next level. And I was that I was that busy sort of in the middle of it saying, I'll show everybody that I can go more and better. That the transition on to having to go to meet the bankers and having to meet the accountants and the solicitors and the, and going out to meet the customers and arguing with suppliers and subcontractors not delivering stuff on time and so on and so forth and taking on all of it. And I would nearly say whether I would nearly use the term the computational roles within the business. Everybody was fine with you know making the product and shipping the product and getting it where needed. But anything that was computation, they kind of, no, we didn't like computation. Our business, our people didn't like it. And I had to sort of step up to that level to be the father figure of the organization. And it was a long, hard, cold place to be on my own. Mm-hmm. But lucky to somebody who who gave me a dose of reality that said, and I, I come to myself and said, no, I can do much better than this. This is my personal, how we've done it. So yeah. the answer to the question in two words was, I pushed myself unknowingly mm-hmm. to lead. Mm-hmm. You were pulled pulled out of of being in the operations, yeah, into a new role, right? But you did it. You obviously let it happen. Then once you were, you let somebody come in behind you as well, which was 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 very. As soon as as, as soon as I, I was I was, I, I wasn't too long in the role, and it was you know I, I moved out, and so the, somebody had said, "Oh, he's the MD." Mm. You know, all of a sudden, I, I may have been the owner of the business, and I may have been working as one of the guys. But, all of a sudden, I got this title as MD, mm. and uh, very, very quickly, I said, "Well, you know, a managing director." And I, I googled what an MD was, and said it was a managing director. And then I, then I started to read what it actually a managing director's roles and responsibilities and titles and, and all this stuff. And I said, "And yep. I said, well, I'm not doing any of that." <laughs> I said, "So, well, I better start doing some of that." So then I started to delegate some of the roles that I had too. So I got somebody who was very good with finance. I got them in, so they dealt with the bank, they dealt with this. So, so very, very quickly, I, I, I took the textbook and I sort of said, well, if this is what I'm supposed to do, I'm doing. And I love it then, you know, this yeah. pointing the finger and saying, get this done and get that done and all the rest and being the proper MD, I thought it was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and that allowed me, that gave me the, it gave me the time to question. And I think it was one of the biggest successes of, 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 of MJM's career. It generally would have been one of the biggest successes was the fact that I understood the business from going to buy a sheet of plywood, cutting it with a handsaw, making a product with it or a piece of timber and selling that. And I knew everything from driving the van to the shop to taking and delivering the product. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't too much in the business I didn't know. So knowing right. that is a second nature and then learning the other part of the business, which I rather enjoyed. Because now all of a sudden I could point my finger and say, get that done, get that done, get that done. So I was the perfect MD, yeah. managing director, because I could manage and direct people around and bully and push people and boss people about all day long. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what that did was give me a little bit of time then to sit down and think. And then I would go down and I'd look at the guys doing the job and I'd say, so why are you doing that? And very, very, in a very early age, then we realized that well, should we always done it this way? So what he asked me that question, should you done it that way? So what are we doing? But is there not a better way to do this? And then this come in and then they'd see me coming and they'd be throwing the head in the air and said, he, he's going to tell us we're doing this all wrong and he'd not know how to fix it himself, but he's going to push us to do something different. And what's wrong with the way we're doing it? So that come to be a model and it come to be a part of our fabric was 
is there a better way to do this? And that was one of the that was one of the big things. And I think that was one of the things that our customers seen about us that we were constantly challenging ourselves when we possibly didn't actually need to challenge ourselves. We would challenge ourselves and we just got better at doing what we were doing on a constant basis. Sorry for rattling on there. Yeah, no, that's uh, so it was coming. It was coming from within yourselves. And that was another question I was going to ask you about that continuous learning culture that I mean, it's even you can see it coming true in yourself that that you have that attitude or mindset to keep learning and to keep uh, and you've inculcated that in the business too. Because the old, it's the old saying goes, I'm going to learn that all my life. You know, every day is a school day. Mm. You know, we, you know, and it's very, very true. You know, and it's it's there's people who say to you, if you're not learning, you're dead. You know, mm. and it's Michelangelo said, every day is a learning day. And I had that little logos around my office and stumbled across it a number of years ago, and it's been there for a long time. And it's been our motto. You know, we must we must keep improving. We must keep learning. If we're learning about each other, we're learning about our products, we're learning about our customers, we're learning about the state of the industry. We just naturally, like, you know, it makes me, it makes me very happy. You know, I go to a meeting sometime and I could be standing in a meeting and I could have four or five of my senior managers there. And I've slightly stepped back. Bowen's uh, uh, will give me that a little bit better of advantage. I'd be standing at the back of the room and the, and the guys would see you smiling and then I had to learn not to smile. But I was smiling with I was smiling with uh, praise and admiration for my team, mm. and you know I was smiling with the fact that I'm going to ask these guys the question: Where the hell did you learn all this stuff, guys? You know, and and then the guys would have a little chuckle to themselves and say, "Well, you know, this is this bloody incidental learning you keep talking about." Yeah. You know, so all these guys, all the, this this team of ours, have just learned all this stuff, and uh, I guess I think it's wonderful. So yes, learning and, and continuous continuous learning. Incidental learning, you mentioned that. Can I double click on that? What What do you mean by that? Uh, well, the last 12 or 18 months has been a very, very typical scenario up and on, incidental learning, because everybody is sort of retracted by law or by governments we have, or by the pandemic. We have uh, contracted back into our homes and back into our lives. And our forward, our, our, our forward-facing side is on what we're doing now. Is on a Teams or a Zoom or some other some 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 other social media outlet, and uh, you know you come on with a purpose and you come on with an objective. You want to hear something, you want to find something, you want to say something, and you come and you go and you leave, and you and you've just you've just you've just learned or you found out something that you needed to, that you set out to do, and you went home. Now, if I had said to you, well, I'll. I'll you know, you're flying in from somewhere, so I'll meet you in whatever, Dublin or London or New York or whatever. And sure, listen, so we're here, we'll have a cup of tea and we'll, we'll have a, even a bottle of beer or whatever the case is. And we start having a general conversation about life or business or what we were there to discuss. The incidental learning that you're going to learn that evening, or I'm going to learn that evening, I'm going to learn things from you that I never knew before. And you're mm. going to learn things from me. So that's yeah. incidental learning that all goes into our, our brain and you know, we regurgitate it and it goes in there and it's locked in. And then sometime we're very bright people because, oh, yeah, I remember we can do A, B, C, D in a way and a way. Yeah. I heard this somewhere else or yeah, I picked so, up some learning. Mm. And that's, we've got all our staff back into the office now. And, and the biggest thing with that is we've been pushing very hard for that. Was the incidental learning over how all the staff um, mingle, how they get on together. All the, of course, with social distancing and all the different new tools that we've used to 
to make sure everybody's safer and so on and so forth. And, but still, still with all of that social distancing, even with eye contacts and uh, voices and so on and so forth, there's still more incidental learning than there was when everybody is stuck at home. In their own at home. Very good. Very good. I so you can see a real value in, in all of that, in, in people getting back together in as soon as they can in, in office settings or work so, settings. Yeah. Yeah. It may be different, but whatever the new norm is, we're going to find it. Yeah. But uh, most certainly, most, most certainly we will, in all of that, whatever that is, there will mm. be, again, we will go back to the term of incidental learning. Very good, very good. That's great insight. And just on on you're talking about learning. I mean, learning over during a crisis. We had it whatever twelve years ago. Um, we've just come, we're coming through one now. What have what have you learned? I'm just smiling. I'm just smiling. And so at twelve years, I'm, I'm really going to show my age now. You're just showing your age. You're only a cub. <laughs> I'm showing my age. I'm going back to the you know when we had the first recession in the, in the late in the late seven in the late eighties. You know, I, I very specifically remember one then, and, mm. and then I remember one in the 90s, and then I remember, we all remember the 2007 to our 2008 or 9 or 10 recession, yeah. we all remember that one, and I don't think any of us is going to forget this current one that we're, we're in at the moment, so, you know, I think we were quite naive in this time around, I think the question is, what have we learned from other recessions to help us through this one, is that... Is that what you're? Is that what we're really saying? Yeah. Well, it's it's yeah to see what 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 you've done over the past uh, the past year or so that as a result of your experience over the years that has helped you through it. During the very first recession, I pulled a, a rug over my head and said, you know, just keep our heads down and keep on going, and we'll pass. And yeah. uh, it didn't really. It, it severely hurt me. It nearly put me out of business. Um, but the business was so small again, so. The business went down to probably one tenth the size that it was, which wasn't very big anyway, but went down to went, went, went drastically descaled. And as I built back up the business over the next five or six years, I always said, Wow, the lessons learned out of there now. What would I do different? I'm talking to myself all the time. What would I do different if I was doing this? If this ever happened again? And then it did happen. So I put I put the lessons learned from the first time into action the second time and and uh, it was quite good. It wasn't was, was good, was was good, could have been much better. Mm -hmm. And then we had the uh, we had the one in 2009, and I learned from what I learned of the first two. Uh, one thing that I learned with the third one that I went through, which was the 2008 and nine one, was I knew what I had to do. My managers knew what we had to do, but none of us done it. Mm. Too hard. We sat on it. Mm. We talked about it. You know, it was like a tin can in the office, you know, we kept kicking the tin can at each other. Yeah. And, uh, we, you know, we'd, we'd get exhausted thinking about the consequences of having to do what we had to do. And uh, we hadn't got a pile of money in the bank. We had some, we weren't too bad, we had some money. But, uh, and you were expanding at the time as well, isn't we it? We were building new we were. space. <laughs> we just moved into a new, a new factory that cost us 5.5 million. Mm. And we just got the debt in the bank for it. And, we only had moved in about a month before the sort of uh, the big, big crash come. So, uh, yeah. well, we kicked the can in front of us. We had some money down the road in the, in the banks to get through it. And uh, we probably were about six or seven months slow in making a decision. And that decision, about three years later, almost busted the company. Mm. That was the big, at the time it was sore. It really was sore to do what we had to do. We cut our staff in half. There was yeah. no... Everybody, a lot of people locally would have known. 
we just cut our staff in half in 2009 or something. Uh, we should have done it about August time in the year before. We said we wouldn't do it and then we got close to Christmas. We couldn't do it at Christmas and then we couldn't do it until after January and then in January then. Didn't really matter. We were still the big bad wolf. Whenever we done it, we done it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd lost a lot. We'd, sorry. Sorry. We'd, we'd used up a lot of uh, cash we had in reserves, mm-hmm. which two years line, two years down the line, we really, really needed the cash. We hadn't got the cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the lessons, the lessons learned is if you have a decision to make, you know, be kind about it, uh, be straight about it, but make the bloody decision and get on with it. And get on with it. Stop, yeah. stop hanging around and hiding under the bush and kicking mm-hmm. the can up and down the road. It doesn't make life any, any. It has to happen. If you've got a problem, then as the as the more mature you get and the bigger your business gets, then you realise that you've got responsibilities. You've got responsibilities to all the external stakeholders within your business. You've got if you've got a board of directors or uh, shareholders or whatever the case, you've got responsibilities, equal responsibilities to all those people as you have to your staff. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no one, there's no one takes priority over the other, or no one should, they all should be treated the same. So in this time, in this recession, I was, I acted really quick. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the the uh, the news what what has happened to the cruise industry, actually, and I still think about it. It actually shocked me to how quick it actually come to us, and it really, it really, really shocked me how quick. Uh, we were having lunch on a Thursday at dinner time at, on the third on twelfth of March, Thursday twelfth of March. Next day was Friday the thirteenth. Never forget it. Uh. That evening we got three or four phone calls. Uh, by the Monday morning, every contract that we were working on and every contract we had in the books, about a hundred million pounds worth of work cancelled within a three-day period. Two or globally within the whole business, two thousand people actively working on all different projects. We were working in five different continents, 20 different countries, blah, 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 all around the world. Mm. And we were receiving emails by the side, by the minute to say that we will not honor any bills after a certain time today or whatever the case is. So yeah. we went into total free fall where everybody was organizing to get the people home safely. Was the, the, big, the, the first big thing was to get everybody home in their houses safely. By the following Wednesday, within seven days from the first email coming in, everybody was back in their home. Wow. That was, I think there was something like 1,300 people all over the globe that had to get flights and they were getting flights and flights were being cancelled. And there were, some people were getting, instead of getting one flight to get home, or we had to book them six or seven flights and put them into three or four hotels. It was a, a my, my, my team of people, you know, I give them full admiration, full, full admiration. And so a lot of the people realized that this was the beginning of the end. Mm. You know, and, and most of a lot of our smart, we employ a lot of very, very smart, intelligent people and could say, well, you know, <laughs> our markets is coming to an end. What's likely to happen to us? Uh, it's going to be huge, huge payoffs. But everybody kept focused, got everybody home into their houses, got everybody safe. And uh, this time I didn't kick the can down the road. Mm. I, just, I just went in and said, I asked my senior management team to go and have a conversation on their own, to go home, to spend a couple of hours discussing the options, go home, come back in the next morning and tell me what the plan was. And uh, and we done that, and unfortunately it resulted in huge, huge numbers of them and people losing their roles and their jobs and so on and so forth. 
Uh, but on a positive note, we're starting, we're back to flying and going again. So the message out of that is, if you have a decision to make, good, bad, or never, just get to make. Got to make it, yeah. And and in in that vein, I mean, following on from that, you are now back, your feet under the table, growing, looking forward to killing uh, a lot of people again. We're probably probably in the last three weeks, we're probably down. We're probably taking on about uh, two people a week. I would say within the next month, we'll probably go. I would imagine we'll double or treble this at our employment numbers in the next twelve months. I right. think we'll probably be ending up that we'll have a couple of hundred. We'll be employing at least a couple of hundred people in the next year. Yeah, right. Very so good. We're we're on the build back. Right. Now, this is a this is a bold bold move to make this statement, but you know I don't have a lot of I don't have a lot of facts. I don't have a lot of my customers ringing me and telling me this information. Well, I'm going to make a prediction, and I do believe that MJM will be back to where they were within the next two years. Fantastic, fantastic. So back to a couple of thousand people again. The group. So yeah. And and key to all of this, right throughout, you've stayed in Uri. You've, you've very much made it the center of your operations, going all around the globe, as you just described. How how important is that to you? And how important do you, do you what importance do you put on, on actually our ability here in, in the island of Ireland to compete on a world stage and have ventures like yours in in different parts of the country? You know, uh, the, the world keeps changing all the time, you know, and when, whenever I set my business up almost 40 years ago, it was Ireland and Northern Ireland and the world was a very different place than it was 30 years ago than it was 20 years ago than it was 10 years ago than it was last year. So it has been a, mus- it's been a, mo- a moving peak. So I, I, I can't sit with any authority and tell any budding entrepreneur what to do, how to do, or why to do it, or when to do it. Well, what I can, all I can do is Tell you some of the things that happened to me. Uh, as I, I was very, I was very comfortable. I was very, very comfortable. I worked very, very, very. I, I worked. First of all, I worked very, very hard. And whenever I came home in the evening, I was very comfortable. And when my mother, and my father, and my brothers, and my sisters, and all were there, and so, and then all of a sudden, then I met my wife, and then I was my wife and our own new house, and then our kids, and so on and so forth. That all started to come through. I was very, very comfortable. As long as I was with them and they were with me, I could have been anywhere in the world. Mm. But you know, you know, I've I, I love Ireland. <laughs> I generally have to say I really, really, really love Ireland. And I'm I'm very lucky that I'm very lucky that I had created a business or was allowed to create a business or was helped to create a business that, that took me to nearly every art and part of the world. You know, I've been in Tasmania, been New Zealand, Australia, all of me. Every Caribbean island has been all over America, Canada, Australia. You name it, we've been there. A fair, a fair bit in the Far East and the Middle East as well. And all of the time I get in an airplane and I'm going out for business, my people going out for the business, every one of us want to get home again. Mm. Doesn't matter if we're going out for two weeks, three weeks, or six weeks. You know, at the end of the thing, the big prize for us is getting back home again. So for whatever type of people we are, we, we, we love the island. Uh, it's home. Our families, our friends, and our communities are here. And uh, I've had the opportunity. I've had non-executive directors. I had all sorts of people telling me that we should have, we should. There's a better cost base somewhere else around the world. We should be moving here. We should be moving there. Mm. But you know, I think, I think that we were lucky to find a business, a very, very strong business 
that had a very strong family connection and was built around families. You know, the cruise industry is built around happy times. Happy times is family times. Family times is the family all together. And we were very, very lucky that our customers had come to see us. We're very, very focused, as you can see, with the cruise ships and building the families and building happy experiences for families. So hence, we decided to stay and because because I love the island and I love the people on the island, I'd be very much, I'd be very much an Irish person at heart. And I love my home. So I've kept my business there. I could have had it anywhere in the world. It mm. probably would have made commercial sense if I had been a, a smart accountant. I probably would have went something else, but I was a dumb joiner, so I kept it at home. <laughs> far from, far from dumb. Well, I, there's a question here, um, Brian, from Michael Burke. Um, just asking, Brian, what part of your journey with MGM have you gained the greatest joy and satisfaction from? And what would you regard as the most difficult aspect and challenge of your, your leadership so far? My most difficult, my most difficult memories within the business was uh, shortly after 2000, I would say about 2011. Mm. Uh, hence from the earlier conversation around kicking the can around and how we got ourselves into a situation that was untenable. We, we, we nearly... We, we we were we were in a dark we were in a dark period for a while, but with uh, with uh, good relationships with customers and good relationships with bankers and good relationships with suppliers and employees and so on and so forth, we worked our way out of it. We worked our way out of it. A very very dark time. Don't want to be back there again. Mm. Want to? I've explained to some of the things that I learned from that and what I would do different. Yeah. Uh, another another one that was I was seven years going to America. To trade shows, a very very costly thing in the younger years. Going to trade shows, seven years before I got my first contract. Wow! It was it wasn't as if that I went out to America and they're all standing there saying, "Come on in, McConnell, we'll have a little work for you." It took seven years. It took me building relationships. It took me spending spending a lot of money to get relationships. And the big thing that they kept throwing back at me: you work on ferries. We we we're cruise ship owners. Cruise ships is a, is is the next level. We find a little bit of that conversation then when we went to break into the Maggie yacht. Oh, yeah, yeah, anybody can work on a cruise ship, but working on a Maggie yacht is very, very different. Yeah. So it's we, we had to work through those different markets. Uh, difficult times, got through them. Uh, so those are some of the downsides of my life and my mm. journey. And the greatest joy? Uh, is, you know, really... Really and truly, I have a son and a daughter, but well, I have two daughters in the business. I have one son, I have three children out of four, very, very active in the business. And to see the professionalism of them, mm. see how my senior management team of the MJM learned a huge amount of me over the years, and I learned a huge amount of them and other people, and we took it all together, and we learned the best of the best of them all. And to see how they take my children along and help my children, I, I am great. You know, it fills me with joy. Right. I have a business that I believe. Uh, I have a team of people uh, headed by some very strong uh, senior managers and my family that can lead my business into the future. Into the future. Yeah. That, that um, leads to David Beatty's uh, popped in a question here on this, this kind of topic when he's saying, you know, being an owner and leader of a fairly substantial private business, what your thoughts are on, on succession planning regarding the, the ownership and management of you? Is that something work in progress or have you strong views uh, on it? I, I, have, I have 
pretty pretty strong views on Honor. I I, uh, I started that journey even about four years ago. Uh, I and again some of my some of the things that I learned about my uh, what was a management director's role and so on and so forth was uh, was to manage and direct. And whenever I had the vision that this is how I was going to structure the business for the future, I brought in a person to do that. Mm. That didn't work out so successfully. So then we had to go back to the drawing board and work at it again. And on our second or third attempt, we found the right person that understood exactly what the process was. They built a small team around them and they delivered it. And uh, we have a very, very supple, agile business that is fit, fit for purpose. And it's taken a long time, cost a lot, a lot of money. And I'm happy to say I'm penniless. <laughs> so it's all, everything's into trusts and into structures yeah. and into group yeah. companies and and yeah. everything, because any guys that's out there, any people out there that have set up their own business will, will all have known that, you know, they had one golden goose that led the egg. So everything they've done in life from the buying the groceries to buying the new car to doing whatever, to investing in another business or getting involved, there was always one pot of money that, that was strained all the time, which was the, the main the main, the main main topic of the business. Well, yeah. you can imagine the size that MGM, our turnover in 2019 was in the group. Was just just like just slightly less than 200 million sterling 187 million sterling yeah uh strong business uh we had branched out into about 15 different companies three of them which i mentioned lots of other little small subsidiaries and so on and so forth mm. and there was an absolute minefield of this company loaned that company money and that company and it was just just a total minefield and we had to sit down and straighten it all up and get the right structures and took it took us three years, right. a lot, a lot of money, a lot of hard work. We had to change direction a couple of times, but we got there. And uh, I, and biggest part of that was a lot of that was moving assets and moving stuff from doing all of that. But you, you know, playing the game myself was one of the hardest things. You know, I was fine to direct, direct my finger to tell other people to do other things. Yeah. But to settle down and to say, you know, you're the one that asked for this. So this is the one that created. Why are you going to break your own rules? Mm. You know, the rules are there to be played by. So don't be, you know, you know, have the board meeting, get the non-executive directors, tell them what you want to do, ask the permission to do it, and don't run off and be the maverick. Yeah. I think those are some of the things that I'm really, really having to concentrate on learning now. Mm. Great, great insight to have come to uh, uh, at this stage as well and at an important stage too. Yes. Well, look, Brian, we've uh, we've we've had a, a fantastic uh, time. Thank you very much for your your insights. Just to finish on on one question, I know you were on the Queen's Honours list uh, and awarded oh, yes. this year. That must have been a great. Um, uh, you must have been very pleased with that. A great acknowledgement of your your life's work so far. But uh, what does it mean mean for you? Uh, you know. I think it's success. One of the things I, 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 I uh, whenever somebody says, what does it mean? And it says, it means that I think I must have been successful. Uh, somebody has thought enough of me to write a letter to somebody, just to whatever, and for somebody to take time and read, read an A4 book or whatever they read and say, you know what, this this guy is genuinely a good guy and he deserves an honor. So I, 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 I have to say, I was I was thrilled. I was honoured. Mm. Whenever whenever I got the first phone call, 
and they said, you know, you can't tell anybody. And I said, you, you know, don't tell me anything. You don't want anything out of it because I just tell everybody everything. You know, that's just that's just how I rock and roll. But uh, he said, no, no, you can't tell anybody anything. And I said, well, not even my family. And he says, no, just nobody. So uh, yeah, look, I was uh, I, I was uh, I was delighted. I was honoured. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you know people ask me all the time what's success, and I, I keep looking for success. So. I keep saying to people, whenever I find success, I'll tell you what success looks like. Uh, what I think was winning uh, were by getting the Queen's Award or so on and so forth, and I look at the lists and I do different things, I think there's a certain amount of success is tied into that honour as well. So, yeah, mm. those are yeah. the things I think. Very good. Very good. Well, look, thank you for being so so candid and generous and, and sharing your the, the, this afternoon your insights and experience. It's, yeah. it's really inspirational and... Uh, I think the all the your integrity and ambition and and the relationships you've built as well they're really values that we strongly identify with as well in Timony and uh, so thank you very much. Can Sorry, I say we're only, ha- we're only halfway through the journey. Whoa. That's right. We'll we'll have you back for for another uh, for the other half. <laughs> but oh, no, uh, the, hopefully the business is only halfway through its overall journey. Oh indeed. The, uh, I hope all the best and all the excitement. Uh, the excitement is yet to come with the next. The next, the next generation of leaders and so on and so forth. So oh, yeah. thank you very much for having me Thanks on. No. Uh, I hope I didn't bore too many of your listeners, but uh, far from it. Far that's from how it. Goes. Excellent. So is, is that us finished up then, Ron? Well, just before closing, I'm just going to let people know a little bit about what's coming up next uh, Tuesday. We're we're going to be joined by Professor Annie Luce Reyes of the SA Business School um, for our May masterclass. Uh, which is on on the whole area of this topic. In fact, we've been talking to Brian about about building um, building a great team. So Anna Luce will be uh, will be joining us on on uh, performance uh, team performance and and getting those uh, results that that we all want to see. That's on Tuesday, um, and uh, then we're also delighted to to announce that we've launched our autumn edition of the Advanced Leadership Program coming out of. Out of the pandemic, we, we're going to be back uh, with with our advanced leadership program. So that is going to kick off in September. And I suppose just to to ask you to maybe for those of you who haven't been on the advanced leadership program, do give it a look. And for those of you who have as well, to to think of colleagues, friends, acquaintances who who you think might benefit from uh, as we emerge out of this pandemic from. From being on a program like this to you know rebuilding your your company culture, rebooting your leadership, embracing with confidence the the uh, the challenges and the opportunities that are, are are coming in the for businesses in the in the years ahead, um, and uh, and then finally to say this particular uh, chat with Brian will be on our podcast channel um, in the next uh, day or so, and uh, and there's other previous webinars and podcasts there so be sure to uh, to dip into that on whatever channel you use and uh, and subscribe to it and uh, thank you again to for tuning in to listen and thank you Brian for for your generosity and sharing the insights and to Claire and Alison and uh, Katrina as well for for uh, helping with uh, putting the session on today look forward to uh, seeing you back again soon thank you very much thank you This podcast was brought to you by Timony Leadership Institute. Better people, better organisations, better society.